or if you're staying, be ready to listen, okay? Okay, I think this is us, okay? So this morning we're continuing on in our Red Letters series, so I'm aware there are visitors here who maybe don't know what I'm talking about, so um, this term we have been looking at the, the Red Letters, the words of Jesus in the New Testament. And we have been uh, in Matthew chapter 5 quite a bit of, of that time, uh, and that's where we're going to be rooted in today and next week. So if you have your Bible with you, can you turn to the Gospel of Matthew? It's the first book in the Old Testament, and the chapter 5 and the verse 4. Okay, and there we read the words of Jesus where he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay? And I encourage you to read the rest of this chapter in your own time, but just for the sake of time, we're just going to read that one verse to start. And this message is going to be split over two weeks, okay? So today we are going to be looking at this verse very literally, as in the literal meaning of mourning, to mourn after death, after loss. Um, and the reason that we're splitting it is because there's just so much in it. Um, and I realized this week I'm a bit of a diva because I, I messaged Neil and said, there's too much. I'm going to need two weeks thinking he might push back. And he was like, no, no, that's fine. Um, and then I thought about worship and I text Jude and I said, no, no, we need some songs. And she again was very accommodating. And then I said, Andrew, I need you to move the slides and I need it in these places. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're splitting it over two weeks. Um, and the reason being next week, we're going to move on and we're going to look at living losses. So these might be losses that you mourn that aren't necessarily death, but they could be disappointments. They could be things, people, relationships, um, things that are maybe still with us, but you mourn their presence. But for this week, we're going to stay with the literal interpretation of mourning. So if we think about what it means to mourn, the literal definition of mourning means an outward expression of grief. So grief is the internal emotional response we have when we suffer loss. And the mourning is what we see. It's the manifestation of that that other people can actually witness in us. That's a very clinical definition. There's a better definition that I love that I'm going to share with you now by a man called Irvin Yalom. He says that mourning is the price we pay for having the courage to love others. Isn't that lovely? Mourning is the price we pay for having the courage to love others. As we explore this topic today, I am very aware that it has the potential to trigger some stuff within all of us. It's very normal that when we talk about mourning or death or grief, that memories might be evoked, emotions might be evoked. Um, and I, that's not my intention. But the reality is that if scripture includes this kind of material, if scripture has this sort of content for us to, to ponder, we shouldn't avoid it. Because if God doesn't avoid it, we shouldn't avoid it. Even if it's a bit uncomfortable or a bit sensitive. That being said, if this does evoke anything within you this morning and you feel a bit wobbly or you feel like it has triggered a memory or you want some extra support, please ask afterwards. Okay, remember you're part of a community. You're not just given this to deal with on your own. I've narrowed what I want to say down to three very short points. The first one being that mourning is inevitable. 
And this is neither a positive nor a negative statement. It's just a fact. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, so it's in the Old Testament. It's two books before Isaiah. That normally helps me find it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So we're starting at verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There are only two things that are certain in life. Death and change. And the reality is that we are all likely to experience all of these emotions that are talked about in Ecclesiastes. We're likely to experience them all in our lifetime. And with that comes probably multiple losses, multiple bereavements of some kind. And they will impact us in different ways. So some may not have a very long-lasting impact. Some may be completely pivotal in our storyline. And what I mean by that is sometimes there can be a loss that is so great and so significant that you can nearly mark your life before and after that event. It's so significant. And it might be that at the time, everyone around you is aware of that and they're very sensitive and supportive of that. But very quickly, life can go back to normal for most people and you're left wondering, what is my normal? There's a book here, I have a lot of books here with me that I'm referencing today. Um, there's a book here by a couple who tragically lost their son. And the way that they describe this kind of um, pivotal point is that life continues on in the same vein for most people while for you, it's catastrophically altered. And that can be what it feels like to experience a loss. There's an altered reality. It's different and you can't put it back. There's no going back to before. And there's been many theories and many techniques and, and much written about how to cope with grieving and, and mourning. There's a lot in scripture. When you really look, there's a lot in scripture. And it might be that some of you have, have heard of like stages of grieving and things. It's thrown into movies, it's thrown into TV shows, and um, it's kind of thrown about as if there are stages that you go through, like a tick box exercise. And I'm not here to go into lots of that detail today, other than to say that scripturally and from a mental health perspective, it's not a clear cut process. It's not a linear stage of complete one, move on to the next, move on to the next. It's messy and chaotic and there is no right or wrong with it. And I suppose all I want to say on that is that whatever way it looks like for you is okay and is valid. And I'm not saying that as Lila Gribben, I'm saying that from scripture, because in scripture we read lots and lots of people who go through bereavements, mourning, losses, and it's all recorded for us. They go through a whole spectrum. Have you ever read the book of Job? <laughs> There, you know, there's so much in scripture that says any way you do this is okay. The, the God that is there is the one stable part of that process. No matter what stage you're in or part of the process you're in, that doesn't change. The second point I want to leave with you this morning is that great mourning does require a great comforter. So if you turn to the Gospel of John, to the chapter 14,
So we're going to read a few verses here. So John chapter 14, and we're going to start at the verse 15, just for the sake of time. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On the day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In these verses, there's a type of comfort is being described, but it's not a comfort that we can put words to because it's a supernatural type of comfort. Like there isn't a vocabulary for me to be able to describe this any better other than to say it doesn't come close to what we as humans can offer each other. So you might have a really great friend who you know in a time of loss would be the ultimate comfort and would be brilliant. But this type of comfort that's described here by, from the Holy Spirit is, is next level, so to speak. It's not something we can describe. It's supernatural. Even in the Old Testament, so in the Old Testament, we know that there was lots of prophecies that foretold Jesus coming. And, you know, there, there are lots of them and you're probably familiar with them all. But I just want to point out that bringing comfort to his people was a primary objective of Jesus coming. Yes, he was coming to be saviour of the world. Yes, he was coming to save us from our sins. He was coming to be Lord. He was also coming to comfort. In Isaiah 61, there's a few verses. I'll just read them to you. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty from ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They're really, really comforting verses, but I want to point out they are Old Testament prophecy. So this isn't an afterthought that Jesus thought, well, I'm leaving them now, I better leave them with something. The comfort was foretold. This is part of the plan. And we can claim that, we can lean into that. I also want to point out that in that original verse that we read at the beginning, for they will be comforted, in Matthew 5, the word will is very deliberate. It's not they could be, they might be, they will occasionally be. There is certainty in that. There is certainty in the word will. It's a very simple word. Now this, this comfort that will come, it might not always look like taking our pain away. And that's, that's hard reality, but that's true. It won't look like bringing our loved one back. But what it is, it's a comfort in faith a comfort in the hope of what's to come, a hope that allows us to just rest in his love and be vulnerable and be held and still feel okay. And in order to lean into these verses, we need to know them. 
So part of it is knowing where these are found in scripture and being able to lean on them when we need. There's also a choice to worship in mourning. There is a choice to rest in the knowledge of who we are and the fact that we are loved unconditionally by a heavenly father who made us. And that, that is comforting to know that should everything else be in chaos, that doesn't change. Now, not only do we have the comfort from the Holy Spirit, but we are planted in communities. And it's not that the Holy Spirit needs our help with this, okay? This is a privilege. So we really add nothing to the Trinity, really. But we get the opportunity, we get the privilege of being part of this comfort to others. Um, turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to read a couple of verses there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now those, those words, to me, they sound like an instruction. We can't unread them. And, you know, even if you zoned out there for a second, it's in there somewhere, you've heard it. You've read it, it's up there. I don't think we should be ignoring it. Um, but it might be that you feel uncertain how to do that. Sometimes we have the intention, but with certain sensitive topics, it can feel like I don't know what to do with that instruction. I might just leave it to someone who's maternal or a professional or a church leader. We, we kind of, some, on some areas, we, we step back and we say, that's not where I'm called to comfort people. That's too awkward. It's not true, though. This verse doesn't have any asterisks. This is for all of us. And it could be that it's just confidence, fear of making it worse, that maybe makes us hold back a little bit. So what I'm going to suggest now is a few suggestions I feel that would be helpful. So these are things that I've learned through life experience and um, from sitting with a lot of grieving people that I think would be really helpful. So I'm going to go through them now. I'm going to whiz through them. Um, if anyone wants the, this list or the, this PowerPoint, I'm happy to send it on. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time because I want to keep your attention till the end. Um, first suggestion is to just be there. So words are not always necessary when you are comforting someone who is mourning. If you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. It is much more effective than using a cliche or making something up or saying something that really doesn't help. I was reading a commentary on the book of Job this week and it said that Job's friends were actually really good supports until they opened their mouths. They did sit with him for quite a while. That was, and I know they get, a, they get a really bad rap because of all the stuff they did say, but before they opened their mouths, they were very comforting. They sat with him. That was a really good, good model for us to, to take. And in light of that, avoiding cliches. So I'm not going to say them because I realize that they could potentially trigger maybe if, if they've been said to you but we all know the cliches around death life things people say when they're awkward and uncomfortable and they think it'll help but actually it's just to fill a gap we don't want to be part of that pray for them continually and let them know so it's very common when someone experiences a loss that they feel they're a bit frozen a bit stuck maybe can't pray for themselves they're maybe just a bit overwhelmed it's really comforting to know, well, at least I know my, my brother, my sister is praying for me every day, and that's really comforting. Allow space for real feelings. 
feelings are meant to be felt. Psalm 88 is a really good example of this. So it's a really heavy psalm. It's filled with lots of emotions. It's lots of desperation. And I think, as I said earlier, I think the reason part of those scriptures are recorded for us is to give us a bit of freedom and say, it's okay. It's okay to feel your feelings. We shouldn't turn a blind eye because something makes us a bit uncomfortable. So it might be that someone crying in their grief really freaks you out and you want to just remove yourself from the situation. Um, We need to get over that. There's not really any other way to do it. Everyone cries, and I've written that, I think I put that up on the slide, and I've put that on purposely for our men because there's a really toxic phrase that's probably been said to most of you men. Big boys don't cry. I don't even feel bad saying it. Really wrong, really toxic, not theologically correct, really bad for your mental and your physical health. Emotions need to be felt, and we need to model that. So for you, it might be some of you men thinking, yeah, I'm comfortable enough with that. We need to make it okay for the men around us to feel what they need to feel. God doesn't turn a blind eye and say, I'm not talking to him, he's crying. We shouldn't do it either. And if anyone ever tells you otherwise, send them to me. Don't be afraid to speak the name of the person who's passed. And this might seem like an obvious one, but it, it actually does come up quite a lot in bereavement work, especially when we're thinking about maybe younger life loss um, or infant loss or miscarriage. Um, sometimes we can avoid speaking the name or talking about the person who's passed because we think it'll remind the mourner and make them sad. But that's not how grief works. They're already sad. But actually us being able to speak their name and be able to talk about them brings them into awareness. It brings them into loving awareness for that mourner. Allow space for them to remember and reminisce. And if that makes you feel awkward, just get over it. Um, There's a book here, one of the books I brought here is by a woman called Julia Boino. And she says that the bereaved should be given the opportunity to remember as best they can, rather than instructed to forget. And that's really important. Let them remember the good and the bad. Don't be a fix-it person. Not every problem has a solution. And that's really hard for some of you who are action-oriented people. Um, and sometimes we think if we do enough, we can make someone feel better, but that's not always the case. Don't encourage them to move on or use statements similar to that. Um, it just minimizes the grief and it can stunt their, their mourning process. And finally, don't be hyper-spiritual um, or pretend to know God's mind all the time. Now, I don't mean don't give them a verse or, you know, some people do get like a prophetic word for someone. I'm not saying don't do any of that, but what I'm saying is don't pretend to know what God's doing and speak with authority when you're just feeling awkward and it feels like a holy thing to do. So Dave Furman in his book, I have his book here, it's a really good book for walking with people who are suffering if anyone wants to to borrow it. Um, He says, instead of trying to figure out what God is doing and get inside his mind, it's better to say things like, I have no idea what God is doing in this situation, but I know he is holy and good. Be as bewildered by your friend's suffering as he is, and instead of providing answers from the mind of God, point him to the love of Christ who will never fail him. What I hope that you are gathering from this part of of my talk this morning is that this is a group effort 
this is a privilege. You're not forced into this role, but there is blessing in it. And to get to do this as part of our Christian walk is a privilege. There's one last quote for this point I just want to read out. We need others deeply alongside us in our mourning. We need to be known. Rather than private, closed, exclusively personal experience, mourning is an interrelational process in which dependency on others is vital for us to heal our fractured life, reassert our sense of self and our ongoing being. The last point I'd like to leave with you is more of a question. What does this mean for me? And I'm asking that of all of us. So when your time comes, what will bring your loved ones comfort? And I'm not saying that to evoke fear or emotion. Um, The gospel invitation should never be offered as a threat or fear-mongering or a scare tactic. That is not at all what the gospel is about. Salvation is about so much more than what happens after we die. We know that salvation is about our relationship with God. It's about um, having your own personal friend, saviour, Lord, who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. But the reality is, our talk this morning, our verse, has brought us to consider death. And so that's why I'm asking you this question. Will your loved ones have comfort in knowing that you've gone to be with Jesus? The gospel invitation is a very simple one. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's really simple. It's quite a a childlike faith that is required. It takes us to acknowledge God, to want him as Lord of our life, to accept him as our heavenly father, and to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I, I do hope and pray that that will be the experience for all of you. I want to finish our time this morning by reading a couple of paragraphs from a book um, by a woman called Patricia Cardy. And she, she, again, it's a very good book. I would recommend that you you borrow it. Um, She lost her daughter in a very tragic way. And her book is very heartbreaking, but it's an inspirational read. And I think the way that she sums up this gospel application is better than I could ever. So I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs and then Neville's going to close us out in prayer, if that's okay. The Bible says in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Who is speaking those words to you? Who is this one standing before you? This is someone who loves you, who has already taken your place and has done everything that needs to be done for you. All that you cannot possibly do for yourself to own the security of heaven and the power of a committed God is being offered to you and it is now, today. His name is Jesus and the door at which he stands is the entrance to your heart, to your life. He knocks because of his lordship to do so. He is the son of God. Find him out. When you engage with him, do not be surprised to learn who he is and what he has done on that cross. Then take him at his word. The Christ who promised to be with me and to bring me through thick and thin has been more faithful in all that he has promised. 
I know that you will agree. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, there comes a day, and it's always today. Today is the day of salvation, no other day. You're taking no step in the dark. Faith is acting in obedience as if the word of God is true. You're stepping onto the integrity of the word and the truth of the God who loves you. Thanks. Thank you, Lila. Let's pray. For more morning is uh, for some people in the room today is a very real is is very real and um, and so Father we want to thank you for those of who are around us who find themselves in in this season. And uh, we not alone want to thank you for the great comfort you are, Father. But we want to thank you for your presence that is continually with us. And as we just take a little bit of the seriousness of, of this, as we do realize that mourning is inevitable, loss at some stage of our lives is inevitable, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be great comfort uh, to to those who are journeying or who will journey this but they help us to be wise and be prepared and for those who um, maybe are just moving outside of 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 the depths of mourning at the moment I thank you Lord for the great blessing it is when we, we journey with you and we have a great community to journey with. So we thank you for one another. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that topics like this isn't avoided. But that, and thank you that we can be real before you and before one another. So for each head that's bowed, for each person that's been with us today, for Lila as she has shared, um, we thank you. Thank you for the songs that we have sang, the people who have led us in that, and all the things that go on in the background. And uh, as we journey today, I pray, Lord, that you go with us. Go with us the after this afternoon as we go to the park and 
enjoy fun together with rock and whoever turns up. And uh, yeah, amen. If there's been some thoughts, as Lila has already said, that have been stirred or you'd like somebody to pray with you, chat to, please feel borrow a book. And uh, thank you, Lila.